really, guys, let us not do anything out of religion. Let us not do anything. Let us not sing a song. Let us not pray a prayer. Let us not fast. Let us not do anything out of just because we know it worked in the past and it's the right thing to do. But let us behold Jesus. He is the preeminent one, the all-sufficient one. What he did on that cross is all that we will ever need for life and godliness. He doesn't actually have to come and do anything more for what he has done and accomplished. And all we've got to do is understand that whatever we do, we've got to do by faith in him and what he did for us. Faith is such a distinguishing factor. Only by faith can you understand that the world was created, Hebrews 11 says. Only by faith. Not by rationale, not by logic, not by any academia. Only by faith can anyone ever understand how God spoke life and creation into being from nothing. Only by faith. Only by faith. Faith is the only distinguishing factor between Cain and Abel's offering. Faith. Read it, Hebrews 11. Faith. There was something inside of Abel's heart that was different to Cain's. There was this trust that God is good. Preparing this message, because I preached this particular message a few weeks back in our own church, Preparing this message really helped me. It doesn't often happen because sometimes I'm just preaching something that I feel God wants to exhort some other people in. But this one, gosh, helped me. Why? Because we're from Durban and Durban's been hammered a bit over the last three years. And ministering to people who are feeling a bit punch drunk from... COVID and rioting and looting and death and floods and then more rain that causes more floods and roads breaking and houses falling apart and leaves, leaves one feeling a little bit like, God, I need a bit of extra strength here to do this thing. And it's been challenging, but Susan, when she preached a couple of weeks, oh, sorry, when she preached a couple of weeks ago, she said this amazing thing that she read somewhere. She said, this person prayed this prayer. My pressure on you, Lord, your presence on me. It's quite a profound statement, that. My pressure on you, Jesus, your presence in me. I exchange my pressures, and I just take on your presence. Because I want to remind you of this. What Christ did on the cross you don't have to do anything more. Listen to this. This is going to freak some of us out. We don't have to do anything more to get closer to Jesus than what he did on that cross to make it possible to be absolutely one with him. It's an amazing thought that. But yet religion says there's so much more to do to go higher. But my pressure off me, your presence on me and in me. These times we live in have been challenging, and they continue to be challenging, and they're not going to get much easier. So just readjust our expectations for life on planet Earth. 
But as darkness continues, so the glory of God continues to shine brilliantly through us. But Sue again, gosh, I'm going to reference her quite a bit today. She has quite an impact on my life. She said, she shared this with me the one time. She said, we have not been created to live life using our own wisdom and insight and understanding. And life at the moment is showing us just this. Because no matter what you do, you're not sure how to navigate through this. When the going gets tough, it's not always the tough who get going. We've seen some mighty strong people frazzled by the complexities that they face and the challenges that they face. When the going gets tough, it's those with faith who overcome. Now, faith is not just exclusive to Christianity. Do you know that? Faith is just something that all human beings have got the ability to practice. Every person who ever stands up in front of somebody to get married and says, I do, that is an exercise of faith. You've got no clue what the future holds, but you're just sure and confident that this love is going to work, that this is going to grow. That's faith. You can be an atheist, an agnostic, a Buddhist, it doesn't matter what. That's faith. Every business that starts up, it's faith. That start, that you, you've got to have faith to start a business. You don't know what's going to happen in the future, but you just believe this thing can work. You've got this sure conviction in a sense like, I've got faith about this thing. When the tough, sorry, when the going gets tough, those with faith are the ones who overcome. Is this thing on? If it gets naught, naught, is that on? Awesome. One John. No, I can't. I knocked it over the other night, remember? <laughs> 1 John, 1 John 5 verse 4 says, For everyone, listen to this, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Not just some, not just the ones who really press in, everyone who understands they've been born again by the Spirit of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's that definitive, friends. It's that powerful. It's trusting in God that overcomes. Nothing else. We've got a temptation, however, to make faith something more than what it really is. We want to try and take it to the next level. Faith is just simply trusting God. We as disciples of the Lord, we are serving Him. We are serving King Jesus on planet earth. And let's be sure not to try and be God. Let's be sure to not try and do what only He does. Let's be sure to not try and do what He's already done. But let's just live in a beautiful reliance upon the all-sufficient, all-supreme, preeminent King who has done it all. He is not going to have faith on our behalf. He intercedes for us. He's urging us on. He's representing us. But faith is something you and I put into practice.
put into effect. Will you trust God even when the circumstances don't look so good? But we can make it something that it's not. When faith, listen to this, I'm going to give you three or four little aspects here. When, because if faith is this, it can't also be this. Like if an orange is an orange, it can't also look like a banana. Is that better? Okay, just checking. Faith is, sorry, when faith is the power of my words and my wording in prayer, something is wrong. When faith is the power of my words and my wording in prayer, something is wrong. In other words, if I don't pray the right way, if I don't say the right words, then the trust is no longer in God, but in my words, something is wrong. I'm now starting to lean on my own human understanding to get the result that I'm praying for. That's not faith. I've tried that in, pray, in praying for the sick sometimes. When I didn't see some results, I started to think more about what I was saying than about Jesus Christ who paid the price for it all. And that's not faith. Second one. When faith is the power of my thoughts, something is wrong. When I'm focusing too much on thinking, on my thinking, in order to see the breakthrough, like, like I mustn't think that, I must think this, I must think this, I'm thinking this. This is going to help me to bring the breakthrough. When it's shifted from Jesus Christ and what He's done onto the power of my thoughts, it's no longer faith in God. It's faith in my thinking. And there's a lot of secular, humanistic things that are infiltrating Christianity where Christians are mixing what the world's teaching and, and our faith. And when you get a mixture of those things, you're not operating actually the way disciples of Jesus were called to operate. Listen to this one. When faith is the power of the confession that I make, something is wrong. Because now the power or, the, or, or my faith has shifted not into Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished, but into the power of my words and a statement of faith, a statement of faith that is able to affect change. So as the words come out of my mouth, whoa, the confession, it's the confession that changes things. Well, funny, I don't really see that in the scriptures. But there's a whole movement in Christianity that is, that is glorified the power of your confession to affect change. Now, I don't deny that confession doesn't change things. The human being is an amazing creation of God. And I'm going to clarify these things just now, but I'm saying Christians, disciples of Jesus, if our faith is not in Jesus, but rather in the, conf the right confession we make, something is wrong. And when faith is the product of my closeness to God, my holiness, my effort in serving God, something is wrong. Because faith rests in Jesus who has done it. 
Because I've realized I cannot add anything better to what he's done. All I've got to do is truly trust him. So today I want to talk about looking up at Jesus. Looking up at Jesus. I don't want it to depend upon me because I've worked out I'm not so clever and I'm not so strong and I'm not so tough. And when the, tough get, when the going gets tough, it's not the tough that get going, it's those with faith who get through. Faith is reliance upon who God says He is and what He's revealed to us in the Scriptures. Especially and perfectly in Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. So when you read the New Testament, this is going to shock some of you. When you read the New Testament, whenever you see the Word of God, and Paul gave them the Word of God, he's not talking about the Bible, because the Bible wasn't there yet. He's talking about the words of Christ. Christ Himself, the Word made flesh, who dwelt among us. The grace of God that has appeared to men. That's what he's talking about. So I'm talking about looking up at Jesus. He is revealed in the Scriptures. And to, and to focus on Him. You see, because we, we have to rely upon that which has also withstood the test of thousands and thousands of years. Because you've got some random human beings on the internet who are now trying to tell us who God is and what He's like. And I'd rather listen to that which has withstood the test of thousands of years. And the stories of common people like you and me who are reiterating the truth that is revealed in the scriptures of who Jesus is and what he does. Then some random human giving us new stuff that sounds so existential and sounds so ethereal and so leading us away from Jesus. Now don't get me wrong. I want to say the following. I believe emphatically in closeness and intimacy with Jesus. But my faith depends on him and, and not me. I believe in good thinking, not stinking thinking. Because it does affect your life. But I don't want to put my faith in my thoughts. Or my ability to think good thoughts. I believe in praying good prayers, not stupid prayers. Because sometimes we pray for things that God already did. But he's not offended, don't worry. It's just not a powerful and effective prayer because it's just a silly prayer. <laughs> but today I want to focus on looking up. So first of all, number one, faith. Let's see where this goes. I'm not sure what we're going to see here. Here we go. It's good. Faith doesn't come from looking inwards. It comes from looking up at Jesus. Now, I know that Christ dwells in us. Okay? So someone's going to say to me, yes, but Christ dwells in me, so I'm looking at Jesus in me. I'm not talking about that concept of faith. I'm talking about looking inwards at you, at your Christianity, at your closeness with God. Faith doesn't come from that. Faith comes from looking up at Jesus. It is good to have a non-judgmental self-awareness. Susan always talks about that. This is the third time I've referenced you, babe. Non, listen to this, non-judgmental self-awareness. So God, I, I realize I'm struggling in this area a bit. Non-judgmental. 
doesn't bring guilt and shame and condemnation because he's removed that on the cross. But I'm aware of it. But, but whoever looks inwards is not going to be operating from faith. In fact, the exact opposite happens. <laughs> Look up at Jesus. There's a beautiful scripture in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, which I, I, I spoke on on Thursday night, which says the following. And we all, Paul writes, we all with unveiled faces, able to see, because Christ removed the veil, contemplate the Lord's glory in the face of Christ. And we who are contemplating the Lord's glory in the face of Christ, not looking inwards, looking at Jesus, are being transformed. The contemplators beholding Jesus are being transformed from one degree of glory to another into the image of the Son of God we're beholding. All this is from the Lord, not from our own ability to contemplate. You see, our faith is in Jesus and what he does. Our faith is in the Spirit of God releasing to us when we look to him. We just receive because we are focused on him, not focused on ourselves. Let's not get swept along by the tide of humanism that's wanting to infiltrate the church. In Christ alone, my solid rock. Whoever puts their faith in him will never be disappointed. You know that the, the original fall of man was about man wanting to be like God. Not godly. Like God. The deception came. You can be like God. Why? Because we want power and authority to be successful and change things ourselves. We can be like God. We can create. We can do this. We can organize. God said, hey, I give you my authority. You can govern and rule the earth. But we wanted to be like God. Nowadays, there's a tendency for human beings to want to be gods. To want to be like God. Still, still the same deception. We still fall to it. But I want to say this, Christian, if you're a Christian, you are not God and you are not a little God. Some people have taken, there's a scripture in Psalms and they take that to, no, no. We, we are his servants who serve him and depend upon him because he does what we cannot do. He is spirit. I am flesh. Born again, yes. The Spirit of God in me, jar of clay, yes. But He is God and we are His children. Faith definitely doesn't come from looking at circumstances. Definitely doesn't come from listening to the news. Faith doesn't come from your social media platforms. Of most often, I can't say always, most often, faith comes from focusing on Jesus. And I want to say this, Jesus taught us how to live in a human body. You know that the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell in a human body. He came in the flesh. He, those, don't, their creeds, as beautiful as those apostle creeds are, they go, and he was born 
by the Virgin Mary, and he died. And, they, and there's a missing middle, three and a half years, of glorious demonstration of what it looks like to live as a human being fully reliant upon God. And so you and I, if we want to live Christ-like, it's about tr looking at Jesus and learning from him as an apprentice, as a disciple, and saying, how did you do it, Jesus? So let's look at one example. The, the big thing about humanistic behavior is we love to learn something from the past and then apply, apply that formula into the future, thinking it'll always work like it did then. But the Spirit of God, John says, in fact, Jesus said it, John wrote it down, is like the wind. It blows and it moves and you don't know where it's come and where it's going. Because life is dynamic. It's always shifting and changing. And only those who are led by the Spirit, who are looking to Jesus, and not just cutting and pasting a formula, are those who will see God's glory come. So, here's an example. Matthew 14, 13 to 21. Jesus is about to feed the thousands. I mean, we are talking about a, this is a, this is a supreme miracle in my eyes. Five Five loaves of bread, two fish, you're going to see something happen. 5,000 people, even more, because they used to just count the guys in those days. <laughs> so Jesus replied to his disciples. I just want to see what comes next because I'm never sure yet. Hey, there was that scripture there. Here we go. And Jesus replied, don't let them go away. You give them something to eat. He says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And he says, bring them here to me. And he said, sorry, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking, this is Jesus, the word in flesh. I want you to get a picture of this. This is the son of God who calls himself the son of man. Because he's saying, hey, ah." identify with you. I'm like you. you like me. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. He, I mean, he's God on the earth. But he's showing us, I don't have what it takes to do this. I am reliant upon my Father and His power to feed you. And He took the loaves and the bread and He looked up, saying, Guys, don't put your eyes on me right now. It's God who's going to do this. And He gave thanks. Thank you, God, that you're going to do this. That's how He wants us to operate. He didn't take the five loaves and the bread. I'm, uh, and the fish, and go, I command you, multiply. In my name. <laughs> Didn't do that. He's trying to show us how to live. When you face that problem that you don't know what to do, it's not in your confession. It's not in your ability to think right. It's in Jesus for us. It's in God, the Father for him. Look up. Don't look in, look up, don't look around, look up at Jesus. Faith in Him and Him alone is what can change anything.
You see, friends, faith that leads to confession first and commanding first before looking up and trusting Him, there's something wrong. I'm starting to act like a little God. And there, and there are sectors of Christianity that have taken this to a level where, where we say, well, we have the authority, we have the Spirit of God, so we command like God. I say, well, I still want to learn from Jesus. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's a time to command, but don't make it a formula because Jesus never made anything a formula. Faith isn't me multiplying food, although it happens in my hands. Here's another example. Peter walking on the lake. Don't picture a calm, glassy lake. So it wasn't a calm, glassy evening. There was a howling, raging wind. Listen to this. Matthew 14, 22 to 32. Let's see what's coming here. Here we go. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. He went to look up. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost! They said and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Waves. Wind-blown waves. Like faith. Like Jesus, if it's you. In other words, my eyes are on you. Call me, I'm coming. And what does Jesus say? Come. That's all. Just come. Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. And he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he said, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind suddenly died down. In other words, it was a setup. It was to see, let me show you what's possible when you listen to me and you trust me. The moment you start to look at the wind, you start to look at your bank balance, you start to look at the problem at work, you start to look at the problems and fixate on the problems, you will sink. But don't worry, call out to him, he's right there. He'll just reach out and say, come get into the boat Faith. You can do it. Faith. Just look up at me. Are you looking up? And the, and the last major one I want to talk on is Genesis 22, verse 1 to 14. This is a, also quite a profound one for me. So this is where Abraham is called by God to go and sacrifice his son. So let's go through it. After these things, God tested Abraham. It's a setup. And by the way, God tests us not to see if we'll fail, but so that we will learn that we've actually grown. Like, 
thank you. I messed that up last time, but thank you. After these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Does the word sound familiar? Don't they? Here is my son. You are my son, my only son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. You see, we, we ought to read Scripture looking for the revelation of Jesus because everything was but a, a shadow, in a sense, pointing to him. So when you read that verse, you go, wow, that's like a picture of God and Jesus. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Like, like we freak out at that. In those days, burnt offerings were far more common. They, they were quite a savage people. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and he went to the place that God had told him. What would I do if I heard God say, take your son your only son, whom you love. We are very quick to just say no to God. He asks us to do some things that seem ridiculous. And instead of trusting his goodness, we just say no. Or we say that can't be God. And if we say no to God, we circumvent an incredible journey and discovery of faith and reward and glory. We ought to think of obedience as loving and trusting Him and not as something transactional. It's just a response to love and trust Him. So, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. There it is over there. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. Listen to this. I and the boy will go over there and worship. And then we will come again back to you. What faith. He just knows the God that I serve, I'm not going to come back alone. He's asked me to do something that's impossible, but there's no ways I'm going to leave my dead son there. We will come back to you because I know his character. I trust him. That's faith. Hebrews 11 gives us the inclination or what is going on in his heart where he says he considered that God was even able to raise his son from the dead if he'd sacrificed him. That's Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. Anyway, he took, and Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. Picture of Jesus, friends. He's going to carry upon himself the cross. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? It's like he's saying, hey, dad, I've seen you do this before. I've seen you worship before. But something's different now. Hey, parents, your children watch you. And they know when something's different. And Abraham said, 
God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son as the perfect offering for the sins of the world. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and he bound his son up Isaac and he put him on the altar and on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son and I can't imagine what he was dealing with in his human soul right there. But God. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And those are the words you've been waiting for the whole time. <laughs> and he said, here I am. And he said, do not, lay on, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The next verse is key. And Abraham looked up. He lifted up his eyes and he looked up and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now just, just think about this. If a ram suddenly ran, the ram ran, into the bushes behind him, into the brambles, into the thicket, surely he would have heard it. And if a ram gets caught with its horns in, it's tussling, it's trying to get free, it's like, a, it's like a little mini buffalo in there, just trying to get out, you would hear it. So I reckon, and I'm surmising, but I reckon that ram got stuck there several hours before or the day before, and it, it, it exhausted itself, and it couldn't get out. And it just kind of collapsed in exhaustion, and it was there. But the key is this, only when he looked up, was he able to see the provision that was already there? When you look king down or you're looking inside, you won't see what God has already provided. So I say, church, look up. Behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. He has already provided. And those who behold him are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Just quickly, in closing, the lame beggar was healed with Peter and John at the gate. He said, hey, give me some bucks. And they said to him, hey, look up. When he looked up, he got more than he was asking for. Faith is not reliance upon the faith victory of yesterday. It's not taking that and making it happen again. Because that becomes confidence in your history and not God. In closing, Jesus calms a storm on one occasion. You know that one? Peace, be still, and suddenly the storm on the raging sea subsides. The one I just read to you earlier, it's a, it's a windstorm, waves, hard, the boat's being buffeted. What does Jesus do? Does he calm the storm? No. He walks on the water. He didn't use a formula the second time. You and I just want to calm every storm we see. In the name of Jesus. Hey, 
Look up and say, God, what do you want to do in this situation? Because the Spirit of God is like the wind. Here's another one, just in case you always want to calm a storm. Paul is caught in a storm in Acts 27. On, a sea, on the sea, in a boat, with a whole lot of people. He's on his way to Rome. And they were, it was two weeks of torment on the sea. They were trying to throw things overboard. They were, they were putting boats down to try and escape. And what does Paul do? He doesn't calm the storm. He doesn't walk on water to safety. He looks up. He says, God... What do you want to do in this situation? And God speaks to him. Because God's always speaking. He says, stay on the boat. Tell everybody to stay on the boat because you are going to get to Rome. Whoever jumps off the boat to save themselves will die. But if you stay on the boat, you'll be safe. So he tells the people, stay on the boat, guys. The boat's going to get trashed. We're going to get wrecked on the rocks. But every single life will be saved. Don't expect a formula. When you're walking with the Spirit of God, stop and look up.